Hello, New Hope. Happy week after Easter. I hope that celebrating the resurrection last Sunday has kind of carried you through, has buoyed your spirits this whole week and given you an attitude of joy that's been contagious everywhere you've gone. Because uh, that's what God does for us. He speaks to us. He makes us like Moses, our faces glowing from having been in his presence. And then we just walk around the world and then we're light to the darkness. So I hope that you haven't allowed the darkness to shadow and overshadow your light. But I pray that your light has made a difference in a dark world this week. Because that's what the sermon on Easter Sunday was all about, right? It's coming back different. We don't want to just stay the same as we've been during this last year. We don't want to go back to who we were before. We want to change. We want to come back different. We want to come back different. And so I hope that difference has been evident on your face, in your vocabulary, in your activities, in your hopefulness, in your energy and joy, your passion. I hope that those things have been contagious for the world around you this week because you experienced a love from God through Easter Sunday that changed you. That, that change is something we all need. And this morning with my whiteboard here, uh, there's kind of a, a transition that I'm wanting to make as well. You know, don't come back the same, come back different. I kind of feel like I'd like to take a tact that's a little bit different on our missional community weeks uh, than we take when we're here on Sunday mornings in the chapel together. Uh, I don't want to make YouTube videos in this next season that are just another sermon with more information, a different topic. What the opportunity of a missional community is, is a small group of intimate friends who know each other well and are comfortable, that you can talk and be real with one another, that we're all peers together, and that it's not a sermon. It's not, we're not trying to replicate chapel Sundays in, in homes where you've got a pastor and then a bunch of people just sitting and listening. We want to replicate the family table where you sit around and you discuss and you joke and you laugh, but the opportunity there, you know, don't miss the opportunity to change these missional communities, don't miss the opportunity there to actually dig deeply into something and discuss, to share your heart, say, this is what's hard for me. This is what's going well for me, to be there for prayer, to be there for celebration. It's, it's almost like these missional communities are kind of these perfect breakout groups. You know, we have a chapel service and there's a message and a topic and God gives us something to chew on. And then the next Sunday we get together in our homes and say, well, what did it mean to you? You know, last Sunday at the chapel, we heard these thoughts and we went away on Sunday. Did, did they last? Did they linger throughout the week or did they kind of fade? Here it is, it's another week. Now we're in a living room or in a dining room and we're sitting and talking just as a small family group. Like, what was last week like? Because sometimes it's really easy in a sermon and in a service, very formal setting here, to have a great idea and be like, oh yeah, I want that, I want that. But then when you get into actual life, it's hard to know, well, how are we going to do that? Like, it was all theoretical. You know, don't come back the same. Okay, we all want that. We want to be changed. So something new, praise God. But how? Well, each of our lives are different. So if there's, you know, 80 people here on a Sunday morning, I don't know how God will challenge all 80 of us, myself included, to change, or what he'll do in our lives that will manifest as change, like how he's working. But when you're in a missional community, that's the time to say, well, this is what it looks like for me. This is what was hard for me this past week about this topic. And so 
in the vein of not coming back the same and doing things differently, this is how I'd like to approach our YouTube videos on our missional community weeks, kind of a workshop or we take some point from the sermon, or go take it one step further, dig a little bit deeper, and then I challenge you to kind of wrestle with it. If our missional communities are not going to discuss or dig deeper or know each other more, then we're wasting an opportunity. You know, this is for all of us now in small settings to do our job, to work at it. You know, it's in our hands now. What are we going to do with these scriptures and these thoughts that God is giving us? I don't know what we're going to do. We've got to let the Holy Spirit lead us. We need to discuss it. We need accountability. And we'll get back together again a couple of weeks later and say, how did that go? You can't really do that in a chapel service. Like, okay, everybody share. Give me 15 minutes, every person here, about how it's going. It can't work. It can't work time-wise. We don't know each other. There's like not a safe environment with people that might be visitors or people not willing to, uh, not able to, and probably even shouldn't share certain personal things in this very public setting. So like time and a place. And these missional communities are a great time and a great place to make it personal. And so that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to look at just two scriptures to carry that same thought forward. And then I pray that you will do the work. Do work with this nugget of truth that God has given all of us. I want to do the work now to say, how can I live it out? How? So if the, if the topic for Easter was change, and we all think, fantastic, yes, give me some of that. Well, then the next question is, how? Right? How? I don't want to come back different. I want to come back better, changed, renewed by Christ. I want to come alive. Yes, yes, and yes. All right, how did you do this week? What did you do different? How were you different? How did God change you? Like this very practical thing. We need this. This is the next stage. Um, I want to read something from Jesus. It's from Gospel of John. It's in chapter 12, starting in verse 20. John 12, 20. And I want to introduce the concepts of addition and subtraction when it comes to our faith. Because usually when we think we want to change, we want something positive. It's like, well, how can I add something positive to my life? Well, that's where you start to get cluttered and life starts to get overwhelming because we're adding all of these things to an already overfilled life. We, we want to add in positive thoughts and scriptures and God's truth, but our minds are already overcrowded and overcluttered with a lot of information from the world around us and a lot of negative things. And so we're trying to just like add in little bits of something to a life and to minds and to hearts that are already full. The problem isn't that there's a lack of truth out there. The problem is that we're chock full of worldly thoughts and worldly activities, and there's no space to get it in there. So if you look at what Christ is about to say, I think he would suggest that the way to change is to subtract things from your life, not just to try to add good things. When you take something out, it creates a void, a vacuum, and that either becomes space, which is healthy and beautiful and Sabbath and peace-giving, or opportunity for something else to be put into it. 
Let's hear how Jesus says it, and then let's think about this in terms of ourselves practically. So John 12, 20, it's after the... um, triumphal entry. Jesus is going to be glorified. He knows he's going to die. He's going to rise again. He knows what he's going to rise like, what his future is going to look like, his glorified self, right? He's got it in mind, but he doesn't just go in and then have this kind of like explosion, boom, and then just come out glorified. He has to die first in order to come back new. And that's the nugget of truth that he's going to share with the disciples that want to know, how do you get glorified? How do you change? Well, you have to die first. Certain thoughts of yours have to die. Your spirit and will for yourself has to die. Certain behaviors have to die. Certain attitudes have to die because you can't just keep all this and be made new You know, Jesus said, it's not things that go into the body, but the things that come out that make a man unclean. We've got so much junk in us, and we're in a stew of so much, like the the third soil in the parable of the sower. We're getting choked out by all of these busynesses and life and, and money problems and worries. We're being choked out. We need to die to some of those things. And Jesus says, you have to die, actually, to all of it if we want to be made new. You can't stay the same and be made new. So here's how he says it in John chapter 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, the change is coming. The new life is coming. The resurrection, glorification is coming. So, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I tell you. This is his proclamation. This is the equivalent of uh, Moses saying, thou shalt not. You know, this is where Jesus makes his declarative statements as authority. This is the thing that people are always amazed that he would do. He looked like a man, and he said, from God, I say this, here's your law. Here's the the command, love one another. Here's your command, uh, lay down your life for one another. Those sorts of statements start with this. So when you see that, truly, truly, Recognize, oh, we have a declarative statement from the Son of God, the Messiah. Take this seriously. So they're waiting for glorification, and this is what he says. We'll go back to verse 23 of John 12. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So whoever loves his life loses it, eternally speaking. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it, keep his soul for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So you see the principle here? We want the resurrected us. We want the changed us. 
We want to be made new. So, so perhaps we struggle with insecurity and poor self-image and a lot of emotional baggage that always just pulls us down and makes us feel worthless and small and insignificant and unworthy. Maybe we fight with that. So we want to be risen new where we have confidence that we've been made in the image of God and that we've been called into his kingdom and he loves us and he would leave the 99 sheep to come chase us and that Jesus died for us and that we're his workmanship, his masterpiece, Right, We want that, but we can't simultaneously think, oh, there's nothing that I can do right. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We have to put that thought, that lie from Satan, that we are um, not worthy of God's love and that it's impossible for us to become anything special and life-changing and world-changing. We have to put that to death. But once that kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, then God can bring something back in its place. What about all our fears and worries? How much time do we spend checking the bank account, checking our stocks and seeing if they're up or down, worrying about what's going to happen, you know, being anxious about our security system at home or our 401k or the future, all the, these worries. If we would just simply say, God, please take away that preoccupation. Think of all the hours of thought life that you would get back. That alone would be a source of peace, never mind providing an opportunity for some new thoughts to take root. Philippians 4, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is loving, like think on these things and the peace of God will guard your heart. Like that sort of a thought, like we can certainly put good things in its place, but even just the subtraction the putting to death. And the thing is, those thoughts are going to fight to hang on. They're going to want to stay in your head. They're going to want to stay in your heart. And they're going to linger. And then they're going to come back. They're going to pounce. And those thoughts are going to come out of nowhere. You're like, oh, no, I could never. I remember that this is just who I am. And if anybody knew my real story, like, no, lies, bondage, chains, not true. They may be your experience, but they don't define God's power, and they certainly don't define new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So we have to be willing to say, God, I want to kill those things off. Can I give them to you? How about bitterness or bearing a grudge? We want to have peace in our life, be risen to have peace, and yet we still want to hang on to the resentment we have for how that person treated us. We can't simultaneously keep our bitterness going and feed that little smoldering fire and be free from it and say, literally, I don't care what God does with that person. He can reward them. He can punish them. He can extend them grace. He can judge them justly and harshly. That's between them and God. I give it to you, God. But once we do, once we subtract, once we put to death that bitterness, that grudge holding, that resentment, if we kill it off, there's space to be free, and there's also space for planting new things, to become new. That expression, you know, we're perfectly designed in life, we're doing the things that we do, we're perfectly designed to get the results we're getting. We think certain things, we watch certain things, we talk with certain friends, we watch and listen to certain news outlets, we have certain activities, and then it creates in us through like feeding ourselves all these experiences and interactions, it creates in us this result. And it can either be this result of just a life that's at peace because God is good and the world's a mess, but God is good and we're okay because we're his. 
Or it can be, I can't, a what if, and I never could, or how could they? Like all these thoughts. Are we willing to put that to death? Are you willing to put to death the things that are making your life the way it is? Or are you trying to hang on to that? Yeah, but if I don't worry about it, who's going to worry about it? Well, maybe nobody's going to worry about it. Maybe it doesn't need to be worried about. So Jesus says, if we try to hang on to what we have, we're going to end up dead. But we're saying we want to end up different. We don't want to come back from this coronavirus the same. We want to come back changed. We want to come back alive. We want to make it through and not drag, but come through with joy. So that means there are certain things in our lives that we're going to have to put to death. And there are attitudes of ours towards other people. There are judgmental thoughts that we have towards others. Gender, race, uh, socioeconomic, education, country, you know, citizenship. Uh, what are all these different things that we prejudge one another by all the time? We can't simultaneously see everyone is made in the image of God and love our neighbor as ourselves if we're also keeping all of these worldly thoughts and concepts fixed in place because that's how it is and that's how we've always done it and that's what we know to be true. We're just going to end up with the same unless we're willing to give God all of our baggage and say, just put it to death. Take it off me. It's old clothes. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. So, I mean, think about yourself this last week, missional communities. You know, we we had a Sunday on Easter where we celebrated resurrection. Was this next week any different? Was it different for you? I pray it was, and I think it has been for some, but I'm pretty sure it also hasn't been for some others. Why? How? Let's not just get discouraged and say, oh, well, yeah, church is great, but then the real life. Talk amongst your missional community. What would it look like? What do we need to put to death in order to come alive? Jesus knew it was coming, and he wanted the glorification, but he knew that his body had to die if he was going to be raised a life-giving spirit. And that's why we go to our second passage. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 35. And now Paul is talking to some early Christians. They probably had some house churches that they were meeting in, and he wrote this letter. This letter got passed off to them, and they read it amongst themselves and discussed it, just like we're doing modern technology of video cameras and the internet, but we're we're passing off a letter, a thought, a teaching, an encouragement, and then discussing it in our living rooms and our dining rooms and our kitchens and our backyards, Uh, small bands of believers. What would Jesus have us do? How? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. So someone might ask, Paul says to these Christians, how are the dead raised? Like, how does that work? With what kind of body do they come? Paul says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Does that sound familiar? So Paul is quoting Jesus and he's applying it. He's teaching them the how for them in their time, in their city, in Corinth. Uh, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. 
There is the one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. How do you shine? What will it look like? Stars, sun, moon, us, animals, we all have this this fingerprint of God, this, this reflection in some way of his handiwork and people, reflection of his image even. But it all differs. And so in verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, Paul says, and so it is with the resurrection of the dead. This is what it's like when we're gonna come back in the end times and be with God forever, the resurrection of the dead. Jesus did this, we've seen him, but it's gonna happen for all of us who believe. The resurrection of the dead, even for those who don't believe, but we're all rise to come before God at his judgment seat. That is God. God is the judge. We will all answer to him in the end. So, verse 42, this is how it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown, so what's buried, is perishable, temporary, stuff that dies off and decomposes, just temporary. But what is raised is imperishable, come back eternal, never dying. It is sown in dishonor, you know, the dishonor of death, our our bodies getting weak or sick or injured and we're dying, that dishonor. But it is raised in glory. When Jesus raised, it was glory. When we raised, it's going to be glory. It is sown in weakness, you know, the weakest moment, the moment of death. It is raised in power. The power of God is in our resurrected selves, not our earthly selves, not this body in Christ in us. It is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So that's sort of like mortal, human, right? That's our family tree. But the last Adam, this is Jesus, another son of God to start a new family tree. Adam creates humanity. Christ comes down and creates the spiritual family of God. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's what Jesus became, a life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. So just like Adam, just like people, people are people. We're all the same. We know what it means to be human. That's a certain sort of thing. Verse 49, and just as we, Christians, believers, saved ones, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we want to bear Christ's image. We want to come back changed like him. Well, we have to put to death all this earthly stuff that we live in. Our pursuit of money. It's just a temporary sort of thing. Our pursuit of like perfect physical bodies where we only eat certain foods and we we work out all the time and we get all sorts of medical procedures to try to make us look younger. And we're in pursuit of the uh, the holy grail, this um, the fountain of youth so that we can just stay young and be vital. And like that's not the cycle of life in this mortal life. This mortal life is what we live. And then our spirit comes before God for eternity. This is a temporary training ground, proving ground, first step, a birth. That is an eternal life. So we bear the image. We look like humans. We, we carry our parents and our ancestors' kind of faces and mannerisms and skin colors and identities, but we don't want to stay there because then we are no different than anyone else in the world. And our hope is in the fact that Christ remakes people, 
that we are a new creation. We've been made new. We want to look like Jesus. Jesus came out of that tomb alive. We want to come out of that tomb alive. But most likely, the other humans that we know are going to come out of their tombs kind of stumbling. It's like they were on, on lockdown and they, they, they survived. We don't want to just hang in there and try to preserve our lives. Whoever saves his life will lose it. We're not trying to like get our lives back. I've got to get back the things that are, were important to me, the way I was doing things. They've been taken away from me for so long. All that stuff is just temporary. We want to rise new, which means, and you probably don't want to hear this, it means you can't stay the same. You have to stop doing what you were doing. You have to stop. I have to stop thinking how I was thinking. We need to put those things to death if we're going to be raised anew. And so this is where I kind of turn it over to you and say, well, well here's the workshop. Here's the digging deeper. Here's the living room conversation that just comes naturally. Where do we want to be? Where do we feel God calling us to be? And what is in our way preventing us from getting there? What things that are in our way can we take off, throw down, push away, stop, turn away from, put to death so that Christ can raise us new? Is it thoughts? Is it attitudes? Is it friends? Is it behaviors? Is it substances that we've been abusing? And we want to be free. We want to be free agents to do whatever God calls us to do, and yet we're bound. We can't stop turning back to these sources of comfort because we just need to be comforted. Well, we can't be free and feel God's comfort if we're turning to our relationships, if we're turning to boyfriends or girlfriends or fiancés or even spouses and saying, be my source of comfort in life. That's a codependent relationship. We need to have God be our source of comfort and then say, wow, what a privilege that I get to live alongside, live life with another person who's fully like secure in Christ and their identity. And as two free people, we can cooperate. We can make each other's lives better instead of how can you fix me or how can I fix you? That's not what relationships are for. They're not to fix us. They're not for us to fix each other. They're for two people to partner together to get further than they ever could before. It's like an obstacle course, like a tough mutter. Now, a few of us are going to try to run one of those later on this year. I'm looking forward to that. Never done that before, but looking forward to the challenge. You can't do it on your own. When you're running the race and you're in the mud and you get to a you know, 15-foot wall, you cannot climb it alone. So you need that partner to say, we could do this challenge together. But when we turn to people as our source of comfort, we'll turn to anyone who will just give us attention, anyone who will give us affection. And what if that person is just going to hold us in place, stuck in the mud as if we just have chains around our feet? We can never be made new if we're stuck in the same place. And the relationships that we're in sometimes do that for us. So the question is, what are you going to put to death? We all want to be made new, but you can't take the old life with you. It's got to stop. I pray that you will think together and hash out. Maybe make one of those diagrams, you know, where you, you, you take a circle and you say, okay, what's in my life right now? Here are all the different pieces and things that I'm involved with. You know, this one here is time that I spend with kids. This one here is time that I spend alone. 
uh, with God. This is time that I spend with my spouse or uh, relationship that you're in. This is time that we spend together with church family. This is time for activity. You look at all these things and then you realize, oh man, stuff is just crowding in like crazy. There's a million and one you know, little slices of pie. No wonder I'm exhausted. I'm trying to get all these things done. There isn't enough time. Exactly. Subtract. Subtract. You have a finite amount of time in life. A finite amount of time today and this week. Don't get choked out and overcrowded. And don't allow the things that you put in ultimately to just be like some big barrier that prevents you from ever getting to where you want to be. Where we want to be is we want to get to change. And I bet you, if you think about your life, simplicity kind of with God, it's going to be a lot clearer, a lot simpler. And you're going to say, I don't need all of these things to make me happy. I don't have to be involved in 15 different clubs and organizations and foundations and boards and town committees to feel important. I don't have to have my children in six different sports. We could just do one. I don't have to be involved in 10 different church activities. I could just do one. And that's one of these things with the missional communities. Again, simplify. If we're here, let's celebrate here. But if we're not here, let's just be together. Let's build those relationships. Let's pray for one another. So I hope in your questioning how that you'll talk with each other about what this crazy pie looks like and maybe what it could look like, but you can't just carry it over. There has to be a stop here and then a transition to something new. So I pray that you'd have the courage to put to death things in your life because there's no way that you can bear much fruit if you're hanging on to the life that you had before, trying to reclaim the past, or if you're just going to stay in this kind of like slowed down, slow-paced, locked down mentality that we've all been forced into this last year. We have to put that mentality to death as well and say, new day, new season, new life. We're going to put our fears away, we're going to put our isolation away. We're not going to remain isolated. We're going to come out of seclusion. And some of us will come out quicker than others, but we're all going to come out and live. We're going to come out in joy. We're going to come out and we're going to be different. Please don't come back the same. And please, in your missional communities, talk specifically about how that's going to happen. What will change for you? And how can you keep each other accountable and support each other to help that true death and resurrection to happen in your life? And God bless you this week, church.